0: The basic refrigeration cycle, what is it? Well, it's something you're going to need to know like the back of your hand if you want to be good within the HVAC industry. You want to be good at your job. A lot of guys out there, they've been doing this for a while, but they still don't know the basic refrigeration cycle like they should. They pretend they do. Now, I'm going to cover the four basic components of the refrigeration cycle I'm going to throw in the most important accessory that I feel is the most important, and I'm going to hit you with a line in the system where refrigerant runs in two directions. I bet you some of you didn't know that. That's coming up on this episode of the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. The HVAC Know-It-All brand is sponsored by Testo, Yellow Jacket, Refrigeration Technologies, and True Tech Tools. Guys, jump on TrueTechTools.com and you can save 8% off your purchase with promo code KNOWITALL. That's K-N-O-W-I-T-A-L-L. If we're going to talk about the refrigeration cycle, then we need to know what refrigeration is. Refrigeration is a very simple concept. The concept behind refrigeration is to remove heat from one area and dump it to somewhere where we don't care if it's there. Essentially taking heat from one place and moving it to another place. That's the concept behind refrigeration. And I'm sure if you sat in a classroom and were taught the refrigeration cycle, I'm sure the instructor or educator went over the four major components. Compressor, condenser, metering device, and evaporator. I'm sure they went over those components. And I'm sure they started at the compressor. I can almost guarantee it. Because the compressor needs to start in order for the process to take place. I get that. But I'm going to start at the evaporator. I'm going to throw you for a loop. Because the evaporator is where the magic happens. That's why refrigeration was invented or the refrigeration cycle was invented for the evaporator to do its work. The other three parts, they're just facilitators in the process. They need to be there in order to bow down to the evaporator, for lack of a better term, so it can do its job. So that's where I'm going to start. And once I get to the condenser, you're going to understand as well why I started at the evaporator. So why put an air conditioning system into a home or an office? Well, you want to condition the air in the space. You want to remove heat. You want to remove moisture from that air. So it's comfortable for the occupants. And that's what the evaporator does in the system. It removes heat. That's why I say it's the most important part. Because that's where all the magic happens. An evaporator's sole purpose is to remove heat from the medium that you're trying to cool. Now, I say medium because you could be working on a chiller trying to cool some water, uh, glycol, or brine, but we're going to keep it simple and we're going to focus on air. So an evaporator's job is to remove heat from the air. Now, heat can come at you in two different ways, latent heat and sensible heat, latent heat is the heat removal where a change in state takes place. Like water vapor to water, you're removing moisture from the air. Sensible heat is when you start dropping the temperature of that air. So those are the two different heat removals that your evaporator is responsible for. Now, the refrigerant inside the evaporator, when it enters, it enters as a flash gas. Now, what that means is when it moves through the metering device, it enters as a liquid. But when it hits the other side of the metering device, the entrance of the evaporator, it's a flash gas. Now, rule of thumb is 75% liquid, 25% vapor. As that mixture moves through the evaporator coil, what will happen is that air will move across the coil as well. And that air will give off heat to the evaporator. The evaporator will absorb the heat by boiling off the refrigerant inside. A perfect example of this is a pot of water sitting on a stove. If you don't turn that stove on, nothing will happen. As soon as you turn that stove on and that element heats up, pretend the element is the airflow across the evaporator. And pretend the water is the refrigerant. Okay? When you turn that stove on, the element heats up. That water starts to absorb heat from that element and starts to boil off. As it absorbs heat from the element, it's actually cooling the element. Believe it or not, I know the element's glowing red, but because it's giving off heat to the water, that water's boiling off. That water's actually removing heat from the element. It's the same thing that's happening inside the evaporator. The air moves across it. 75% liquid starts to move through the evaporator. As it moves through the evaporator, it absorbs heat from that air and starts to boil off. That is how the evaporator works. Now, as that refrigerant moves towards the end of the evaporator, in a normally working system, all of that liquid should have boiled off. So we should be left with only vapor, but that vapor will continue to absorb a bit of heat. That is your superheat. That is known as superheat, and we need some evaporator superheat to ensure that we don't send liquid down the suction line back to the compressor. So when that refrigerant enters the suction line, it's a low-pressure superheated vapor. Okay, that moves back towards the compressor. Now, the compressor, that is the heart of the system, okay? It needs to be powered up in order to pump so we can move refrigerant. Now, the compressor is only designed to pump vapor. It's not a liquid pump. It's a vapor pump, okay? It takes low-pressure, superheated vapor, and pumps it to high-pressure, superheated vapor. It's the heart of the system. And it also generates heat. we got to get rid of that heat somewhere. Okay. So we've talked about the evaporator absorbing heat from the air, moving through the suction line as a superheated vapor into the compressor as a low-pressure superheated vapor. Compressor starts up. It pumps. It's a vapor pump. Remember, it can't pump liquid. It's not supposed to can damage it. We're going to pump it out to a high-pressure superheated vapor. Okay, we're going to move down the discharge line to the condenser. Now, what's the condenser's purpose in a system? Now, you'll understand why I started at the evaporator. The condenser's job in a system is to reject the heat you absorbed in the evaporator. All right, because Heat moves from one place to the next. When the evaporator absorbs that heat, it doesn't disappear. Energy doesn't disappear. You're moving the energy from one spot to another. So that's where you get rid of that heat. So if you're outside and and you put your hand on a condenser and you feel that air blowing up and it's warm, that's because it's removing heat from the evaporator. But it's also moving heat. From the compressor the heat of compression because when a compressor runs it generates heat we also have to remove that heat so the condensers job is to remove the heat from the evaporator and the compressor so some guys have joked in the past that I probably bleed nylog well if that was true I'd be squeezing it into bottles and saving it up because that stuff is awesome when it comes to sealing refrigeration parts. Threads, gaskets, flares, you name it. I carry it around in my bag all the time and I use it almost daily, guys. Check it out. dialogue Blue by Refrigeration Technologies. So as the high-pressure superheated vapor moves into the condenser, what will happen is we'll start to reject heat reject heat from the evaporator reject heat from the compressor as we're rejecting heat from that refrigerant it will start to condense it will start turning into a liquid think about water vapor in the air touching a cold glass or a cold window almost instantly it turns to a liquid so similar to what's going on going on inside your condenser you're going to have that high pressure vapor cooling inside the condenser it's going to condense into a liquid now at the end of the condenser We should be left with a full column of liquid, which will continue to cool. That added cooling is known as your subcooling. If you remember back at the evaporator, when we boiled off all the refrigerant and we were left with vapor, it continued to absorb heat. That was known as your superheat. And the condenser, it's the opposite. We condense the vapor into a liquid. And at the end of the, the condenser, we're left with a full column of liquid that will continue to cool. And that is known as your subcooling. So now that we've moved that refrigerant through the condenser, and we've changed the state from a vapor to a liquid, we now need to move through the liquid line. It's called the liquid line because it should be liquid in there. Now we want a full column of liquid to hit our metering device. Now what is the metering device for? The metering device is to create the pressure drop that we need it's to regulate the flow of refrigerant through the system. So I talked about flash gas. So we want a full column of liquid so we have the correct flash gas going through that metering device. So if we, if we didn't have a full column of liquid, if we only had 50% liquid, our flash gas, our percentages, our rule of thumb, 75 and 25, 75% liquid, 25% vapor, that could be changed. Who knows what the numbers would be, but that would reduce the efficiency of the machine because we wouldn't have as much cooling going on if we're not boiling off as much refrigerant. So the metering device's job is to take that full column of liquid, reduce the pressure into the evaporator, and regulate the flow of refrigerant into the evaporator. There's all kinds of metering devices. There's TXVs. We have AXVs. We have capillary tubes. And now we're getting into all of these um, electronic expansion valves. So we don't need to get into all of that. You just need to know that it regulates flow into the evaporator. And it wants to see a full column of liquid in order to maintain a high efficiency within the system. So I did tell you I'd touch on one accessory. Okay, outside of the four basic components, and I'm going to touch on it because I feel it's the most common, and that is the liquid receiver. Its job is to store liquid refrigerant. Okay, it's found downstream of the condenser. Downstream means after. Upstream means before. So downstream of the condenser, that's where the liquid receiver is found, and its job is to store refrigerant. So let's say you have a system that's running it shuts down and you pump down that system it basically draws all the refrigerant from the low side and puts it into the high side that's that's a pump down so we need somewhere for that refrigerant to be stored if the condenser isn't big enough to hold all that gas so that's where the receiver comes in it holds and stores liquid refrigerant another good reason to have one is in a low ambient situation let's say you have to run your air conditioner In low ambient conditions, like winter, it's cold outside. When the when the when the temperature drops off, refrigerant pressure drops off. Okay, so in order to build that pressure back up, you need more gas. So in the winter time, when that pressure starts to drop off, that added refrigerant that's sitting in the receiver is drawn into the system, and it helps it build that pressure back up. So those are the two main reasons for pump down and storage and to draw refrigerant out in low ambient conditions to build that pressure back up. Now, there is a line that goes from the condenser to the receiver. That line has actually got its own name. That's not a liquid line. I bet you most think it is. It's not. It's called a condensate line. And some of you might know this and some of you might not, but that is the only place in a refrigeration system where gas or refrigerant moves in two directions. So you have liquid leaving the condenser into, into the receiver, and then back from the receiver up into the condenser, you have vapor going back. That vapor going into the condenser actually pressurizes that condenser to push that liquid out. It's just like if you have a gas can. You pour the gas can without opening that back nozzle to let the air in, you have a really hard time getting that gas out, correct? It's the same concept. So that vapor comes back up the condensate line into the condenser, and the liquid leaves the condenser into the receiver. That is the only place in a refrigeration system you'll see refrigerant moving in two different directions at once. So guys, that is the basic refrigeration cycle with one component thrown in there and the condensate line, which some of you guys probably just learned about today. You guys need to know this stuff if you want to be good at the trade. You need to know the basic refrigeration cycle, and you need to understand it. You need to study it. You need to get involved with all the accessories that you can throw into a system and know how they work in conjunction with everything else. You guys have an awesome day. Happy HVAC. So all the mistakes that I've brought up and talked about so far, those are all things I did as an apprentice or borderline becoming a technician. But it was within that five-year period of apprenticeship that that I went through. The next mistake I'm going to tell you about came as a fully licensed, fully experienced tech in the field. And this only happened in November of 2017, just a few short months ago. I had a walk-in box. It was a freezer. All right, we kept this freezer. At minus 24 degrees or minus 25 degrees Celsius in and around that area. So we were having some intermittent problems with that freezer, um, with the controllers with the freezer. So we decided to change them. So I picked up a couple of Honeywell T-77-5 controllers, which are complete badass controllers. I love them. So we had two systems in this, in this freezer, system one, system two, and they were backups of each other. Every uh, month, we would change the lead lag so there'd be a primary and a backup. So I start changing out the backup controller, get it in, get it all wired up, turn it on. So the primary controller's in, the old one, the existing, so two different controllers for the time being. The Honeywell controller is reading about 12, I think it was about 12 or 13 degrees above the set point of the existing one that was that was there the primary. Like this is not right. Can't be. So I took the other controller that I had picked up and I swapped it out. And it was it was still reading the same temperature. 12 or 13 degrees above minus 24. Like, what the hell's going on here? So I returned these things for warranty. They're obviously not working. I grabbed another two, brought them back. First one I tried. Same exact thing. Okay, now I'm getting frustrated. Now I'm pulling out my hair. I called Honeywell, talked to tech support. We checked the resistance of the sensor, the thermistor, in the box. And it was correct. That resistance was correct for the temperature that was in the box. So they're like, it's got to be bad controllers. I'm like, okay, well, I don't trust these controllers anymore. There must be a bad batch. So I picked up two different ones. And I wrote about, I wrote a short blog about this on Facebook. Nothing huge, just a, a little paragraph. So I picked up two more controllers and different, stuck one on, the same exact thing, 12 or 13 degrees difference. But this time, I didn't pull my hair out. I didn't, I didn't go crazy. I, I just looked at the controller, and I noticed something that was a little, a little odd. It jumped out in front of me almost right away. I forgot to change the units of measure from degrees Fahrenheit to Celsius. That's all it was. That's my problem with all the controllers. Those first two controllers I put in were good. The third controller I put in was good. Now, I'm going to mention that same week, we had to put our dog down, our family dog. It was the first dog I ever owned. Had her for 14 years. It's the first dog I ever had to put down. All right. I got three kids at home. My oldest son grew up with the dog as his best friend. And it was a really tough time for our family. So my head wasn't in the game the way it should have been. But I mean, it, it's no excuse. We're professionals. But at the same time, I'm a human being. So it did affect me. So that, that was, a, that was a, a mistake that I made as an experienced tech. I called up the office and I told them right away because it was like this giant weight of anxiety and frustration and stress had been lifted off my shoulders. Because I was, I was starting to go nuts. Like it can't be all these controllers that are bad. I must be doing something wrong. And I was. On that next Monday, we all sit in a meeting every Monday morning and go around and just talk about stuff and safety and, and whatnot. And I brought it up. I said, you guys want to hear something funny? And I told everybody. And I felt better afterwards. Because it's like therapy, getting that stuff off your chest. And not enough guys do it. A lot of guys try to hide their mistakes from people so they don't look bad. And I've done it too. I've tried to hide my mistakes. But as I get older, I find there's no point in doing it. What's the point? I wasn't going to get fired. I've been with the company for too long and made them too much money over time to be fired over something silly like that. Everybody makes mistakes. So come clean. You might as well. So guys, making mistakes, it's a human thing. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. Just learn from it. Don't be afraid to man up to it. And don't be afraid to own it. Because when you do that, people will have way more respect for you in the long run than if you try to hide your mistake and act like you're perfect. Trust me. I hope you guys had fun listening to the podcast. I hope you guys go out there, and I hope you guys do your best, make a mistake, own up to it, talk about it, get that shit off your chest, and move on. You guys have an awesome day. Happy HVACing.